here at the University of Arkansas, our goal is, man, is to progress the quality of strength, power, and speed. Uh, you know, we take pride in our guys getting stronger throughout the year. So we're not just looking for, you know, the next three years that they're here at Arkansas. We're trying to build them a foundation where they can play 10 years in the big league. You know, we look at the long-term development. If they get really good at that squat pattern or that lunge pattern or that hinge pattern, they start to get really strong. I think, too, I'm going to just look at, you know, what's, what's the flu? Like, where is the flu on the body? Not what's causing the flu. Hey, if you're going to do something, be consistent and have intent. That's the biggest thing you can do from the weight room. I truly believe it correlates to the field from my aspect. Fellas, fellas, fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your sick host, Joey Cunha. And guys, I appreciate you guys. Like, I'm sick, but I'm delivering info. Me and Bo are on here either way. We're going to get it to you. We're going to give you the info. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Bo Gallus. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we're here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Rapsodo, Measure to Master. Rapsodo brings powerful insights into every pitch. They help players and coaches improve their performance through real data. On this episode, we sit down with Blaine Kinsley, strength and conditioning coach for the University of Arkansas baseball program. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Blaine Kinsley. Welcome back to the farm system. We're sitting down with Blaine Kinsley, strength and conditioning coach for the University of Arkansas baseball program. Blaine, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the Farm System. Hey, it's a great opportunity to be with you guys. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Well, you know, Blaine, a, a big part of us having you on is uh, obviously, you know, you you de- definitely have some um, specific roles, you know, within that program, um, historic program, and and all the value that you bring from that side of the game and perspective. Um, also, too, you know, Eugene at over at 108 speaks very highly of you, and we wanted to get you on and pick your brain a little bit. That sounds good to me. Let's do it. Absolutely. Uh, before we kind of dive into some of that stuff, Blaine, uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself by taking them through your journey to get to this point in your career? Yeah, sure. So I'm actually from North Carolina. I played D2 football and baseball in a small school uh, called Lenore Ryan University. Uh, that's in Hickory, North Carolina. So that's where it all started, I guess you could say. And then I, I got a paid internship in NASCAR my first year out of school. Uh, working at Hendricks Motorsports in Concord. Um, so with that, I was I trained pit crews for Jimmy Johnson, Erhard Jr., you know Martin and Gordon, uh, which is a pretty cool aspect. It's a lot of, I guess you'd say, some retired NFL guys that get into the NASCAR pit crews and stuff like that. It's pretty booming business now. So hmm. um, following following that, I you know I had a little stint in pro ball with the Cubs. I was in the Midwest League with the Peoria Chiefs. Um, and then following those couple of years, I went to East Carolina University, uh, worked there for four and a half years. I was a head baseball guy and I was assistant with football. So got a little bit of well-rounded everything, been around some stuff. So 
once I left ECU, I took an upper management job with the Cardinals, uh, working with Jim Malone. He's a he's the Pirates big league guy now, and and Pete Prince, he's he's the Cardinals big league guy. So learned a lot there, and I was in big league camp. And then during the season, I broke with Double A, you know, the affiliates in Springfield, Missouri. I'm in my second year at University of Arkansas now, and I work for you know the best head coach in the country, uh, Dave Van Horn. He's is hands down the best. That's awesome. Well, and you know, when you, just like you said, in, in relation to those coaches actually on the field, how do you view your role um, within that, um, you know, within that correlation with those coaches? How do you, how do you view your role? You know, my role in relation to the coaches, I'm, I'm support staff. You know, my job is to help athletes peak from a strength and condition standpoint on the field. Um, I, I want to enhance their performance. I also want to keep guys healthy. But let's be real. Like, our Friday night guy that came here, he didn't come to lift weights playing Kinsley. Okay. You know, he came here to win a national championship. And I do everything in my power to help him win. Like, that's that's the biggest thing in sports staff is to help those guys peak uh, and try to figure out ways to help them take that extra step on the field, whether that's performance or just, you know, staying healthy, which in baseball is a big thing, as, as you know. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. I kind of want to dive into that. Um, let's say – you get an athlete on campus. Can you kind of walk us through what your assessment process looks like? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, on on my staff, I have a GA that I got from South Carolina where uh, Billy Anderson's the head Olympic guy, baseball there. I have a lot of respect for him over the years, especially on the East Carolina. And, you know, he's he's like the grandfather in SEC. He's going to get kind of upset if he hears this, but, uh, you know, he's the older guy in SEC and he helps people. But uh, a lot of knowledge and stuff were – Real fortunate to get Elijah from him, and then uh, really good friends we got at TCU, so we we got an intern from him. So, you know, from from my staff point, you know, I'm really proud of them. They they bring a lot to the table and help our guys. Like I try to go find the best of the best, um, and I I put our staff up against anything. So, you know, from strength and conditioning standpoint, our assessments we do we do a pull up, uh, we do a push up, uh, we do overhead squats, uh, then we track our dorsiflexion. So. In dorsiflexion, we try to be a, you know, a minimum of 35 degrees, but ideally 40 degrees and more is what we want. And, you know, the overhead squat, if it's really bad, that's kind of how we variate, you know, do we load the guy, do we front squat and do back squat? And that kind of comes to like the coach's eye, uh, having a little bit of feel. Like if you see the squat pattern, um, you say, hey, hey, he's not ready to back squat. Maybe he can do a box squat or maybe he can front load it and do a box squat, you know, so everybody's built different with, you know, long torsos, longer legs, you know, everybody has a different build. So kind of seeing that squat pattern from each person, you kind of go off of that. And, you know, as crazy as that is, you know, we, we do assessments on that, but the coach's eye is pretty huge in that. And again, we have guys that regular back squat. We have guys that safety bar squat. We have guys that back with, you know, anterior load, which is a front squat or they, they back squat to a box. And then we have some guys that don't load the bar at all. You know, we've had some players that aren't ready to do anything with the bar, you know, so they'll do a belt squat. Uh, we'll try to master the patterns with them so they can get to the bar, whether that's front or back or safety. But, you know, it takes time. We're trying to build foundations on these guys. We're not just looking for, you know, the next three years that they're here at Arkansas. We're trying to build them foundation where they can play 10 years in the big leagues. You know, we look at the long-term development. Um, so that's pretty much from my standpoint. Now, the trainer. You know, we work closely with the trainer and our nutritionist. We have a head dietitian. Uh, she helps us. She's with us all the time. Um, you know, her her role in this is is huge. Like, I can't explain 
put enough emphasis on why uh, nutrition is huge. Uh, you know, so sugar bipods begin the fall, end of the fall, and usually at the end of the season to see where they're at before they go to summer ball or if they're staying back. And that's just to give guys feedback and see if we need to make adjustments in their, their whole individualized plan. So she'll do meal plans, and then she has assessments on the allergies, foods they like, which is huge. If you give a kid food, you know, food he doesn't like, he's not going to eat it. Um, so that, that's a big part in that. And then, you know, I think the biggest thing a lot of coaches take away from, you know, what she does is, you know, what's the minimum weight or maximum weight? Like, what's the equation? Um, so, so here we're, we do height in inches times 2.5. That's their minimum weight. You know, maximum weight would be height in inches times 3.25. Okay, so that's someone like Aaron Judge. All right, so at this level, we're not really worried about, you know, usually doesn't get to the max weight. You have a lot of guys that come in from, um, you know, especially high school, they're very, very small. And, you know, we got to put weight on them to help protect those, you know, those, those special areas like the elbow and the shoulder, you know. So the minimum weight thing's been a huge thing for, especially give a guy a goal, uh, give him a, something to work towards in the fall, especially because uh, the spring is such a grind. Um, but, again, pitchers are different. You know, it depends on how they feel, what works for best. I mean, you look at a guy like Barbara Cologne or Susan Sabathia, you know, they're probably not 3% body fat, but they're really good at what they do, you know? So mm. I think you just have to kind of have to figure out what works for that pitcher. You know, if he's like 6'3", he's 250, and he throws 98, we'll probably keep him at that weight, you know? Um, all that stuff kind of goes up the window with that. But, you know, as a trainer, he does internal external rotation of the shoulder and hip. Um, so, you know, the shoulder, we're looking 180 degrees together. Uh, the throwing arm is going to expect to have more external rotation and less than the non-throwing arm, obviously, because they throw. And then the hip external rotation, we look for 40 to 60 degrees. And then internal rotation, 30 to 40 degrees. And again, he'll go through some PRI tests with him and stuff and, you know, see how they're actually breathing, which is huge. You know, if you can kind of teach the kids how to learn how to breathe a little bit, it kind of helps nip a lot of stuff in the butt that you don't think about. But again, everyone that comes into our program, they go through our assessments. You know, we have a foundation program where we're trying to execute, execute and master the movements. Okay, so, you know, some of our guys that come in, they progress a lot faster than some others. You know, there's been freshmen that come in and have a background of training um, that have done a lot better than JUCO players. And that's fine. It just takes guys uh, a little bit longer. But we're, we're all, we're not going to rush things. And again, you know, we just maxed out most of our, I say maxed out, guys hit heavy triples uh, last week. And there's a bunch of guys squat 400 and some guys press 300. You know, it's it's not something that we're, we're like, oh, max week is week, you know, 12. We got to get ready. Now, if you master if you master the movement, the maxes come. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to worry about, you know, maxing out this, this certain day. Like, if, if they get really good at that squat pattern or that lunge pattern or that hinge pattern, uh, they start to get really strong. So that, that's something we do take. We take consideration. We try to emphasize with our guys, and they bought in. It's, it's worked really well so far. So, Yeah. You kind of touched on it a little bit there. I'm interested in this piece of the assessment process. Um, how does it change, you know, if you have an incoming freshman versus maybe a junior college transfer? And what are some things you look for in those athletes? Yeah, so – and those guys will go through the assessments and – Again, you might have a kid that's a freshman. You know, he might have all these patterns down. Um, he might progress out of our foundation program, which we're trying to learn those movements. 
and then he starts lifting with the regular group. So, um, and again, if a Juco kid comes in, he's never lifted, and that happens. There's freshmen like that. I understand they, you know, they've been playing baseball their whole life. They never got into lifting weights, and you know, fortunately, it's getting more and more, which is helping. You know, obviously, if these kids can understand, hey, if I can take care of myself from the aspects of you know, the support staff, people, nutritionists, strength coaches, athletic trainers. Um, I could probably make a lot more money and my career goes a, a lot longer, mm-hmm. you know. So, again, we have we have JUCO guys that come in. And yeah, I'm thinking one, for instance, on our, on our team is, you know, his program's a little bit different because he's still learning the patterns, which is fine, you know. But he's gotten stronger and his, you know, his home to first has gone down and the sound of the ball at the bat's coming. So, again, we're not trying to rush him into anything. Um, obviously he gets that foundation we can we can take flight there so yeah and I, I kind of want to you know again coming from more of a hitting coach perspective um, is when you're manipulating these patterns that you're talking about what are some ways I'm interested in some ways that you go about uh, manipulating those and changing those into you know the, the pattern that you would like to see so what are some ways that you go about that yeah so kind of like a progression or regression on our lifts I mean you know Sometimes if you see this guy squat and he's like, you know, my back's tight, you know, I think, I think too, I mean, it's look at, you know, what's, what's the flu? Like, where is the flu on the body? Not what's causing the flu. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we just look at all oh, the lower back's tight. Like that's the flu, you know, maybe it's the tight hamstring. Maybe it's the mobility in the hips. Maybe it's the mobility in the ankles that's leading up from the ground. Like you, you got to look at what causes that flu. So what we'll do is we'll go through that pattern, you know, whether it is, you know, let's say they're sprinting. You know, one of our pro guys here um, doing sprint work, you know, his heel recovery is very, you know, very, very, I don't want to say terrible, but just it lacks from the other side. And it's, it's his lunge pattern. Like we looked at his lunge pattern, that leg's a little bit weaker, you know. So there's certain things you can look and, you know, I'll speak with, you know, Wes Johnson or Nate Thompson, one of those guys, and we'll kind of look at film. And if there's certain things we can do, like we'll regress their squat, you know, maybe do some more step ups to help, with, uh, you know, some hip strengthening stuff or, you know, maybe a different variation of lunge, but we'll just break down their patterns. And that's why we try to, you know, be efficient at that movement because we can do that, if that makes sense. Um, you know, again, if we know how to hinge, if we know how to lunge, you know, if we know how to, you know, squat or press because they're all different patterns, then we can regress and progress, you know, certain things, you know, whether it's, you know, maybe it's their back leg on, on hitting or pitching. I just put Francis. Well, maybe we do a little bit more reverse lunges in his program, you know, so. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I, I think a lot of time is spent uh, by coaches trying to solve uh, symptoms and not the real, you know, illness like you were talking about. And I know a, a big thing that, um, you know, coaches want to, you know, hear from you on this side as well, especially because you're baseball specific. You know, what's your view and approach to the end of the fall challenge with athletes? You know, what, how do you guys go about that? Yeah, so, we, you know, we call our end of the fall challenge here the stockyard games. All right, so we're kind of turning pigs into hogs. So mm-hmm. it, it, is, it is a fun, you know, three or four days where we're doing competitions. I love our guys to compete, man. Like, that's the biggest thing, you know. You got to be competitive on the field. So you got to be competitive in the, in, the, uh, in the weight room as well, you know. Maybe we're doing velocity-based training stuff and guys are just, you know, rooting each other on or trying to top, you know, their teammate in some, you know, meters by second on the tendo, you know. So 
But anyways, I'm chasing that rabbit. You know, back to the end of the fall challenge. So we'll, we'll break up to four or five teams. Um, each will have a captain. And it, it all depends on how many bodies we have that fall. So, you know, four to six teams max. So we'll have a draft. And then, you know, the kicker with the challenge is that we, we have events that are individual point events, and then we have team events. But they all go towards your total total points, if that makes sense. So, for example, an overall team winner, you'll have an overall team winner, and then you'll have an overall individual winner. Um, so, like individual events or push-up challenge, you know, we'll test our vert brought, uh, broad, 30-yard dash. Uh, then we'll do some other events. So, we kind of score those, let's say, 30 points for first place, and then first place or one point for last place. Okay, so, you know, once once they get that, so when you do the draft, you got to draft people that can do, you know, stuff for speed. Uh, can they jump? Or, you know, can we do stuff as a team? So the draft is pretty interesting. And these guys, they do, like, money ball stuff. They'll make Excel sheets. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll track what they'll – I'll give them a little bit of information from last year's uh, stats, and then they want to know what their testing is. Like, uh, it's pretty cool. So it's, it's a pretty – uh pretty cool experience for them also they get to compete and they get to do stuff together which i'm huge about so um but in saying that some of like our team events will be like a prowler relay you know so a guy pushes a prowler let's say 50 yards next guy goes you know something for time um and, and we do tug of wars we do four man carries i mean we do stuff where they got to think and especially in fatigue like ways to win and you know i think that Correlates to the field a lot, especially late in the games. You gotta, you gotta make a pitch. You gotta, you gotta get a hit and put a bunt down. You're fatigued. You're tired. And it's game 69. You know, you're in, the, you're in Omaha. So things like that, I think, correlate to the field and it helps. Um, but it's all about the competition and working as a team. You know, the last set will have an obstacle course. And it's pretty challenging, but you know the guys love it and they compete, which fires me up. So yeah, absolutely. Um, as you kind of transition throughout the fall hit the fall challenge and you transition into the season i kind of wanted you to open up your perspective on in-season training um i know you're a believer in that even go as far as saying you guys lift on game day so you kind of open that up for our listeners oh yeah absolutely so in-season training that's a huge thing man people talk about you know especially sport coaches and you know one thing i can tell you is that and i was telling a high school coach this and Obviously, it's a different level than, you know, college and schedule and everything. But the longest period of time that we have to train is during season. You know, you think about all the breaks they get or they go home for summer. They go, you know, or they go play summer ball. Um, there's a lot of breaks in between that, you know. So the longest consistent time that you have for NCAA and college baseball is in season. You know, we saw a lot of our guys PR like in postseason. Mm-hmm. And again, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the volume here in a little bit, but like, if you keep it down to like triples, you know, even four reps or doubles, the guys won't get sore, but you can still load the bar up. Mm-hmm. And obviously you have, you got to track volume because there's a lot going on. You're playing a lot of games. Um, you know, you're traveling. There's a lot of stressors you don't think about in the student athlete's life that it, it does take a toll on their body, you know, studying or off the field issues with, you know, maybe family or something like that. You, you just don't know, but you know, here at the University of Arkansas, our goal is, man, is to progress the quality of strength, power, and speed. Uh, you know, we take pride in our guys getting stronger throughout the year. And, again, if, like I said, if you're consistent and you're smart about it, I mean, it, it's definitely going to pay off. You know, some of our young guys, they PR like in, when we played South Carolina in the Super Regional, you know. Mm-hmm. So, 
again, it's the longest time for them to, to, to train. So, you know, the volume is very low. You need to manage that volume, like I was telling you. So you got to take and counter practice, travel. You know, the guy's got tests, you know, this is a test week. I mean, those those are little things you have to take into consideration. So, you know, you talk about frequency, you know, the first three weeks, we'll, we'll lift three times a week. After that, we'll do two days a week the rest of the year. Um, but, we, you know, we take into consideration, especially our catchers and everyday, everyday players. So we start playing around a little bit with blood flow restriction on some of our stuff. So we're probably going to do some pitchers, like late in the season, catchers. Just kind of get that strengthening aspect in, but also take the load off the body with the bars and the joints and all that stuff. So that's always a good option that people can research that. So there's a lot of pro teams starting to do that, especially in the big leagues. But, we, you know, we kind of break our players into three tiers here. So our tier one guys, they'll play, you know, they play every day. They're going to lift twice a week. Um, and again, we like to modify some stuff with some guys. You know, let's say somebody's bag is tight because he's traveling, he plays every day. I understand that. Again, we're, you know, as a strength coach, we're here to help them win, okay? We don't want to do anything that's going to harm that or put that in jeopardy where it, it puts their career behind or the team gets hurt about it, you know? So our tier two guys, this is a guy that he'll probably play like a, get a midweek start or like a pinch hit or something on the weekend. Uh, these guys lift three times a week. Some of them are four, depending on who the kid is. I give them an option. Uh, you know, we had a shortstop last year, but – you know, he played midweek. He might start a game on the weekend. He wanted to look four times a week. Um, and, again, if we modify and we, we, we track the total volume and we're in communication with the coach to see if he, you know, what his opportunities of playing that, that weekend is, then uh, those are things you can do. And then we have our tier three guys. And these guys, they're redshirt guys, so they're getting after it. They're listening five times a week. Um, we're trying to get those guys ready for, for the future. Um, so, you know, we, we, earlier I talked about volume. I think this is the biggest thing, you know, especially coaches, you know, at the college level, any level, they're in season lifting. And I try to sell this because I want them to lift their guys during the season. It's huge. You know, so it's kind of like a four-week plan, I guess you would say. So week one, you're medium to heavy on percentages, okay? And we go about 14 to 17 reps per exercise, okay? So let's say it's five by three on squat. All right, that's week one, okay? And again, that's for pressing. We can do trap bar bed, you know, reverse lunges, whatever, whatever we have in our program that day. That's what we can do. Uh, week two, it's kind of medium on the percentages, and this the medium, medium heavy is the load. Okay, so you can play around with those percentages, or your strength coach can. And you know, that week is twelve to fifteen reps for exercise. So that's a three by four, to, you know, five by three. Um, and then week three, it's pretty heavy on percentages. We're going to load that bar pretty good. Uh, and again, that's going to be 17 to 20 reps per exercise. And again, you can break that up as five by four or six by three. Okay. So again, you're trying to track all that total volume. You can still load the bar up and get strong. And then you'll come to week four, which is a super, super light, super light on the bar. It's kind of our deload week, I guess you would say. And that's 10 to 12 reps per exercise. So a four by three, very light. You know, some days you could, you could do box squat with that and take some. Uh, some pressure off the hips and joints and all that, all that good stuff. So, but again, that's, that's how we do it here. And there's a thousand ways to see a cat, but uh, it, it worked for us pretty well last year. And uh, we take pride in it. So. Yeah. So you guys get after in season. I know I've heard you guys, you talk on a different podcast about how you guys strength train on game day. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear that a lot about professional guys getting workouts in, in the morning. Can you kind of open that up for our listeners? I think, 
a lot of them might maybe skeptical about in season training in general, let alone game day. So mind open that up for us. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if you just want to look at pro ball, for instance, those guys have to lift them in the morning because they play every day, they play 160 a game. So, you know, you, you're not telling me that Mike Trout didn't lift one weight the whole year. Like, uh, that's pretty hard because that guy kept his weight on. And he's a freak now, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, you know, it's like uh, one strength coach in the All-Star game told me that uh, Bryce Harper's in there and just getting jacked before the home run derby. Mm-hmm. That's what he likes, you know. So there is all this skeptics like, oh, we shouldn't lift on game day, but the pros do it. You know, I was in pro ball. You have to lift on game day because if you don't, uh, you would get that lift once every two weeks. And mm-hmm. that's how I watched to me. So, <laughs> but yeah, lifting on game day, I mean, we did it three or four times last year, just fell on the schedule. So in SEC, some days you play on the Thursday, you know, uh, depending mm-hmm. on TV and stuff. So you play on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and usually we get our lifts on a Monday, which is a voluntary day, and we, we give them an option to come in if they want to get it done. And if they don't, if they don't want to come in because we don't make it mandatory, they come Tuesday. Uh, but sometimes we have a game Tuesday. You know, that's how the schedule lines up. So they like to come on their own Mondays. Uh, get that lift and again we don't pressure them into coming they, they have the option that's what they do and then our second lift will be a thursday or friday and sometimes it falls on the game day and that's fine as long as we you know my rule of thumb on that is we give them six to eight hours of rest before they're they're okay you know so let's say that's a seven o'clock game and we got a lift at 10 o'clock 10 a.m it's fine we're perfect we're ready to go and a lot of our guys will be truthful with you like after doing it you know, someone had some success. Some of the guys got drafted. They, uh, I remember one game last year, we, we lifted in the morning, uh, and then the kid hit, you know, two or three home runs. So now he wanted to lift on every game day. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't line up that way. We just, that's what our, we set our program in. We're consistent with it. And, you know, we had some success with it. And a lot of these teams in SEC, I mean, they come in, we'll play on a Friday and they'll lift that morning. So there's, there's a lot of teams in SEC that I've seen. Uh, to come in and get a game day lift. So, again, if you're, if you're modifying the volume and you you have, use some feel, you know, we talk about having feel, your guys would be good. Obviously, let's say we're late in the season. Uh, it's the last home series. and we, we have It ends up we having a, a game day lift. I'm not going to max them out at 95%, you know. So, if you sit down and stick to what you believe in, be consistent about it, um, sometimes the guys like it. They feel like they – you know, they got a little blood flow for they go out there, and it, it helps with, you know, confidence, especially in, in the box or on the mound. So, Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And you kind of walked into my spider web on that one on how you, you know, manage the intricacies of balancing what's best for individuals um, in the room and what's best for the general group. And so I know you talked about a little bit about feel, um, especially when it's in season. And, again, like this guy feels better when he does this. This guy feels better when he does that. And then you got to, you know, take that problem, put it together mm-hmm. and, and create a solution. So, you know, how do you go about managing that when it comes to those athletes? Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is like how we are here is, you know, especially from strength conditioning. There's, there's a, we, we listen to the feedback. Like these kids know we care about them and they care about us because they see the importance of this lifting. So if they, if they have something where, you know, in our methodology here, we stick to the to master the movements, the squat pattern, the lunge pattern, the hinge pattern, the pressing pattern. Okay, so we have feedback from those guys. Let's say they don't feel well if we had a game day lift and they didn't want a safety bar squat, they want to do belt squat. That's fine. We can still maintain our strength. We can still learn how to burn 
our, our bend and maintain that pattern. You know, we're going to stick to these movements because that's what we believe is, you know, mastering these simple movements, it carries over to the field, which is our main goal. Being efficient in the movement and having attendance, like the speed of the bar is, is a winning combo. Again, so each player knows that and it's individualized to what they need to, you know, help maintain that pattern, but also get stronger. So each, each uh, player has individualized, you know, cards for them where they're going to, you know, we might be squatting that day, but one guy front squats, like I said, one guy back squats. And it all depends on what what that kid needs to do. So, you know, we might have the same workout, but everybody's individualized to different variations of that movement, I guess you would say. So that's kind of how we get around all that stuff. So, Yeah, that makes sense. And then, you know, just uh, I'm thinking too, do you guys, um, I know you mentioned bar speed. Do you guys actually uh, monitor uh, bar speed? Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, we have a couple guys that are actually super, super strong. Okay, they, these guys they squat three times their body weight. So they're all they do is they do velocity based training, and we track like, you know, for speed days, you know, we'll sit at point nine or one point two on the tendo, and then for power days or strength days, I guess you would say we do point five to point seven. Um, you know, for instance. We did most of our, we hit some heavy triples on some of our, our lifts last week, and guys PR. Guys have been in this program for a long time. They PR, but our, our velocity based guys PR. So, you know, one of our pitchers, um, cops, absolute study. You know, he squatted 330 at 0.7, which is pretty good, you know, especially he's only uh, 195, 200 pounds. So, uh, feeling good the other day. And again, that's just feedback, you know, like, hey, if you don't feel it today, you don't have to hit that number. You know what I'm saying? Everybody feels different every day. You got some feel on it. So he was feeling well. He hit 370.79. So, again, he's, he's starting to peak at the right time, you know, getting in the season. Um, again, I, I like the velocity-based training just from intent. You know, if you're going to do – you're going to talk about stuff that correlates to the field in the weight room, um, have an intent to move the bar fast, go through something at game speed, it helps a lot. And also guys are going to be competitive with it. You know, if they see a guy they're competing with on the weekend, let's say he's a weekend pitching guy and you're trying to get that Saturday or Sunday spot, uh, they see him hit a, hit a number on that velo, he's going to go over there and try to hit a velo because I post stuff. Okay, so I'll post, you know, I'll post what they weigh that week, uh, what numbers they hit that week, just so we all can see it. You know, there's no elephant in the room. We're all, we're all family. So I kind of like to expose that. It kind of gives them some motivation to help. Uh, push yourself and also give intent to what they're doing in the weight room. So, yeah, man, you touched on a couple of things there that I'm assuming uh, why a lot of those numbers are so high is because, as you mentioned earlier, it's important to have a competitive culture inside the weight room. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of yeah. open up why that is important and kind of how you create that to get your guys to buy in? Yeah. So, if you think about baseball, it's competitive as it is, life's competitive. So, if you're not a competitor, it's going to be a long run for you, uh, I guess you could say. But you know, from a, from a weight room standpoint, I truly believe that you must learn, you know, the discipline and all the stuff that comes with that in the weight room. So, you know, wearing the same clothes, uh, staying behind the line during the warm-up, uh, sometimes counting reps, as simple as that is. It helps with team priority, but it also helps with, um, you know, guys buying in and working for each other. So, you know, we have a challenge every day. Uh, we do that at the end of our workout. And I'll have guys that aren't competing to choose a side. Okay, so 
it pays to be a winner. And, you know, if your team loses, let's say you might have to do some squats, you might have to do some Bulgarian squats, you might have to backpedal around the track, or you, you might have to do up-downs. I mean, you know, it pays to be a winner. Winners win and losers lose. Uh, that's just the, you know, the God honest truth. So, you know, we, we call our brotherhood dog soldiers in there. So we have, we have dog tags that you earn. So if we have a guy that comes in, freshman or Juco cat, new into our program, uh, we'll do these competitions to earn a dog tag. Okay, so these dog tags say prepare, perform, prevail. Um, and if you're on our roster, each guy will eventually earn a tag before the spring starts. But the guys love it and they compete so hard at it. Just, it brings so much energy and it teaches how to, how to like pull for each other. You know, they're going to love it. They're going to love on each other and pull for each other, which is huge. And that, that goes a long ways in the baseball. And I truly believe that, you know. I mean, guys will get stronger and faster in the weight room, but teaching these guys how to be a disciplined person on the field, off the field, it's also going to grow up to be, a, you know, a good family person or successful young man. That's that's the biggest picture we're after. Like, we want these guys to develop in life. We want them to learn something when they come here. Yes, they're going to learn that. You know, the attributes of playing the game or getting stronger and all that stuff, but you got to be a, you got to be a good person when you leave too. So we try to hang our hat on that. But yeah, they, they love the dog tags and uh, it gets pretty competitive. It fires me up and you know, there's a lot of screaming and yelling. It's, it's, it's a fun time. So. That's awesome. And, you know, you kind of touched on this uh, before and I was, I was interested too on your perspective on this. Um, you talked about um, guys peaking. Are you a believer in uh, peaking multiple times throughout the season or are you more of like a peak and then maintain and then, you know, peak less? Uh, what's, what's your perspective on the setting up peaks? You know, I think guys can peak throughout the season. All right. Again, some guys feel different on different days. And to be honest with you, you're only as strong as you are, as you are today. All right. So, yeah, you were pretty good yesterday, but how strong are you today? Okay, and there's a lot of stretches on the body. So guess they're gonna they're gonna peak throughout the season. You know, they might peak early. It's kinda like you get in a slump. You know, you're not really in a slump, you're just you're trying to find that connection to peak back out of it, if that makes sense. So everything we do, we're gonna have intent in the weight room to help them peak later on as well. You know, you see some guys like they don't let's say they don't get, you know, I guess recruited by big time schools and they peak late and they go to JUCO in their first rounders. Like you've seen it a couple of times with JUCO guys getting drafted very high because they peak later. And that's the same thing with our redshirt guys. Like we're going to train them as hard as like they're going to be the next first rounder because they're going to peak a little bit different. You know, they got all the tools and we're, we're firm believers that if we build that foundation, we can help them uh, help us win a national championship. Yeah, that's good. Good perspective. Um, and then also too, I wanted to kind of get your perspective on this as well. Um, how do you manage recovery uh, with all the baseball athletes and how many games you guys play? Yeah, so recovery is huge, man. You know, we're very fortunate. Our school spends a lot of money on nutrition. I mean, our training table is like hands down the best in the country at any level of football. You know, football does, they're in there as well, but like you can go in there, you can get whatever you want all the time. And the kids get two free meals during the day. The school pays for that. And then they have a, a training table, which kids it's in their scholarship or they choose plans or whatever, but the school does give them two free meals, which is huge. And again, as much fun we still nutrition, we hammer it, man. I mean, the basic staying hydrated and also sleep is, is being on recovery. So, um, you know, we'll do some, some questionnaires and stuff with guys, but they have to be truthful on it. And they understand that, you know, the players these days are very smart. 
Okay, so they're on social media. They read stuff. You know, they're reading blogs. They listen to podcasts, which is good because I want them to be educated on those stuff. You know, so they, they take it seriously when I tell them this is what you need to do. But they'll see facts of guys in the major leagues about, you know, how much they're sleeping or how much they're recovering to do or what their routine is. And that's big. Um, you know, I've, me and my staff, we, we've taken we took us some certifications like RPR, which is reflexive performance reset. Um, this is a bunch of soft tissue stuff and recess, but some of our guys like, but some of them don't, you know, so we try to go out there and get all the cutting edge certifications and techniques and everything to help the guys. But, you know, if we take the certification and one guy likes it, we won, you know, we're not going to hear and say that RPR is the only way we can do it. Every guy's different, you know, and the RPR is very cool stuff. It's, you know, there's not many studies on it, so I kind of call it voodoo, but it does work. You know, so Deets and those guys, they might get upset with me saying that. But, um, <laughs> you know, our Friday night guy last year, uh, Blaine Knight, he was a big guy that, uh, you know, he, he's a small frame, but it's very hard. So his back would be tight the next day. And we do these RPR resets, and he would immediately feel good the next day. So we could start working on range of motion, um, start getting ready for that next start. And, uh, you know, we had a couple of relievers that like it too, and some position guys, but, you know, there's different techniques and stuff out there that, you know, some of the training staff here does and I do, and um, that helps our guys get back. You know, that's that's our biggest thing. We want the guys to feel 100% every day. So whatever we can do, we're going to do. Definitely. I think you touched on a great point that players today have more access uh, to information. Uh, they're more willing mm-hmm. to learn about the game and about strength and conditioning. Um, kind of considering that, at what age do you think it's okay to start building the foundation for some of these weight training movements? Yeah, so, you know, this this all ranges from people, you know, especially in my profession. Everybody has a different age. And every kid, they're built different. You know, they've got different genetics or they, you know, they mature at a different age, you know, female or male or, you know, any, any of those factors. But, you know, the age, I would say, is 10. You know, that's, that's what I would say. And at that age, you're just doing basic movements and you're working technique. Again, you're building a foundation. Um, you know, I can go through a little bit of thoughts of, you know, ages and what I think, you know. If you talk about ages like two to four, you know, that's very, very young, right? You know, those guys, they're learning motor skills. You know, they're building their neuromuscular pathways. So they're, they're trying to coordinate movements. So like simple exercises from age two to four, which is unbelievable. It goes a long ways. It's like just bouncing a balloon from one hand to the other. You know, they're, they're trying to learn all that stuff. And that's a very young age. So it moves you to ages like five through 12. And my opinion, I think they should be introduced to multiple sports and activities. You know, doing one activity or one sport would actually lead to burnout and boredom. And to be honest, like repetitive motion injuries. I mean, this is a good time. You can teach kids fundamental skills for movements, you know, agility, strength, endurance, hypertrophy, you know, as well as the skills for the game they're doing. And I, I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge believer in play as many sports as you can. You know, I think too many people are going just one sport too early. And not just for all the stuff that you learn from the sport, that's huge, but kids get burned out on it. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, if you played baseball for so many years, and it's a game of failure, okay? So if you go three out of 10, you're doing pretty good, right? You're batting 300. You still failed seven times. You know, doing that for about 10, 15 years probably wear on you a little bit. <laughs> but that's that's just my personal opinion. Um, but again, that, that gets to the age of 10 years old. Um, and this will be body weight movements and, you know, technical work, 
Um, but again, it, it almost goes back to what we believe here. You know, our methodology is learn those fundamental movements of squat, hinge, press, you know, pull, um, and even carries. You know, we do a lot of carries. So, you know, I, I talk to a lot of high school strength coaches just because I like to see what they develop and things they do to help their kids because, you know, we get guys in here that never lift the weights in their life. So their training age is from zero. You know what I'm saying? They might be 20, 19, 20 years old, or even 18 years old, but they never lift the weights. So we have to go very, very basic, you know? So again, you know, at that age of 10, let's say a kid, I'd probably give them like three minutes between the sets. And let's say if they fell at something, like it was a terrible squad. All right, just give them one minute rest and then start it back over. And then ages 13 and 20, obviously, that's getting back up to where my age that I work with. You know, you start advancing the strength training or, uh, you know, that, that importance can help with developing attitude. We'll, we'll carry in a, you know, adulthood for positive, healthy living and stuff. But, you know, I'm chasing a bunch of rabbits right now. But age 10, that's what I believe. And it's different from everyone. So, you know. Yeah. No, it's a good point. Uh, appreciate you opening that up and really sharing quality yeah. information throughout the entire interview. I think it's a good uh, perspective for our listeners to hear. And if any of them want to reach out to you about anything that you've covered or follow up, about anything in regards to strength and conditioning, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Uh, I think the best the best way would probably be, you know, Twitter. Um, and also they can find my email on the University of Arkansas's baseball account on the on the website. So No, yeah, perfect. Well, and then Blaine too, uh, one thing I wanted to do as well is just give you an open mic. You know, what is there anything that you'd like to you talk about or anything that you would like to, you know, spread out there throughout uh, all of baseball? No, just just hey, if you're gonna do something, be consistent and have intent. That's the biggest thing you can do from the weight room. I truly believe it correlates to the feel from my aspect. And also use a lot of feel. You gotta have a lot of feel. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey Blaine, we appreciate you. Thanks for spending the time to give back to the game and uh thanks for jumping on with us. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Man, Blaine just shared a whole bunch of different knowledge and just great perspective on the game. This call takeaway is brought to you by Silverback Sports. Silverback Sports is the alpha when it comes to arm care and training essentials. Silverback's training products are constructed from premium materials and are designed to be durable and dependable to withstand the toughest and most rigorous throwing or training programs. Visit shopsilverback.com to see their entire line of high-quality products at very affordable prices. Also, follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to stay up to date. At Shop Silverback, that's at Shop Silverback. Yeah, man, Blaine got me wanting to go push some weight. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joey? Um, I think my biggest call takeaway um, with that, you know, actually came at the very front of the interview of just talking about how he views his role um, as a support, you know, staff and as a supporting uh, factor to what the what's happening actually on the field. Um, like he said, you know, guys aren't coming there to be the strongest lifters in the planet. Guys aren't coming there to be, you know, uh, these these alpha Olympic lifters. You know, these guys are coming here to play baseball. And so whatever he can do to support that um, is his role. And so, like, that was my biggest call takeaway. How about you, Bo? Yeah, man, I agree. I, mine kind of builds off. I think it's so important to get in the weight room in general. Um, coaches shouldn't take it lightly. But obviously, a lot of prog- programs don't have a Blaine Kinsley. So, um, it's important to have Phil and it's important to, if you're not sure what to do to find some information and and give your guys something that, that can help them, you know, throughout the process or throughout the season, you get stronger and r- really maintain and, and, and avoid injury. So I think it's a huge part of the game that I think coaches need to 
make sure they're hitting on and putting in their player development program. So, yeah. And, you know, and a great, and a great resource, just like you're saying is, you know, it could start with just this podcast, you know um, you know, when uh, you guys that you have guys like this speaking and you can steal things from them like this um, great episode to share, um, especially when guys don't have a resource like that in their program. So that's a great thing uh, you guys can do. Obviously, like always guys, if you um, post your favorite quotes uh, to this, this episode, um, Bo and I always give us out some love and some retweets for you guys from us and our partners over at Rapsodo. Until next time, Farm System out.